Thank you, Brother Joshua, for leading our hymns. Um, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we finished last week looking through Acts chapter 8, and I enjoyed studying through that and, and preaching through that. And it kind of, this all got started when, um, if you remember when Brother Luke was here, um, and, and he, he preached through, Brother Luke Hagler preached through some of the uh, Acts chapter 7, where Stephen uh, is the first Christian martyr. And that, and that got my mind on this book of Acts. And if you remember in, in Acts chapter 6, they ordained the, um, the deacons who were to help the, the, the ministry, uh, that they, should, um, you know, they shouldn't leave the Word of God, but they would give their time to prayer and to the Word. And then we have uh, one of those, Stephen, who is, who is killed for that Word, and um, then in Acts chapter 8, we look through the persecution that the church was facing and, and tried to draw some strength from that as people who may face persecution one day and are certainly closer to that than any uh, generation in America has been in a long time. And, 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 but in Acts chapter 8, it kind of takes a break from uh, this man that's introduced in the latter part of Acts chapter 7. So when Stephen is killed, it says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 57, it says, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him. That is upon Stephen with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. So the, the, the witnesses who were there at the stoning, they, they had given their, their clothes over to this man, their, their coats, they, they'd given them to this man Saul. And in chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And that, just, that doesn't mean that he just went along with it, but that Saul drew pleasure out of the death of Stephen. And much of the rest of the book of Acts is going to revolve around this man Saul. And so he's kind of introduced here, but we don't hear much about him in Acts chapter 8. And then it picks back up in Acts chapter 9. And um, I don't think it would be a spoiler alert uh, to let everybody know that this man, Saul, is going to become the Apostle Paul. And it's amazing to me how God works. Isn't it amazing to you all uh, how God works? We certainly wouldn't have said, you know what? I bet that guy that was consenting unto the death of Stephen, I bet you he'd make one of the greatest authors that there's ever been. I bet you he'd convert a lot of people to Christianity. Uh, but certainly God knows better than us, doesn't he? God knows a lot better than we know. And in Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read this to you before we go to Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. In verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my conversation, that is his manner of life, the way he lived in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I devastated the church of God, and I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul's experience with grace. How many of you have had an experience with grace that you can remember in your life? You can remember when God was gracious unto you. I love that it says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. 
you know, for all of us that believe we've been called under this salvation by the grace of God, uh, God didn't do it. Uh, he wasn't just unwilling or it didn't hurt him to do it. That brought pleasure to God to call you by his grace. And we're going to look at an account of that. And I think we'll learn some things uh, from the, the book of Acts. And we'll read through, I guess, verse maybe verse six today. It says in Saul, this is Acts chapter nine and verse one. It says in Saul, this man who was consenting unto Stephen's death, who held the clothes of those who stoned him. It says in Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told to thee what thou must do. The Apostle Paul, that's a, that's a, that's what a description of Saul as he's, as he's, as he's going forward to persecute the church. It says, and Saul was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord. These are people like me and you. These aren't bad people that he's, he's breathing out these threatenings and slaughters against. These are, these are good people. People have been changed by the grace of God. People who are trying to follow Jesus Christ. People are trying to be disciples. Uh, people are trying to love their enemies and love their neighbors and love their wife and love their spouse. I mean, these are, these, are, these are disciples of the Lord. And he says that he was, he was yet breathing out as the gospel is going forward to Samaria and to other parts of the earth. It is, it is, it is burst, it's, it's kind of burst on the scene and out of Jerusalem. It says Saul is breathing out threatenings and slaughters. You know, that says that there was something deep within him that hated what was going on. It was, it was, it was as easy for him to breathe out these threatenings and slaughters as it is for for you and me to breathe out carbon dioxide. How many of y'all just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of the poison? You know, that's what we do when we breathe in and out. That's what Paul was doing here. It was just natural to him that he would breathe out threatenings. That would be, he, he was determined that he was going to inflict evil upon the people of God. And he, in his slaughter, he wanted to bring great destruction to the church. Remember, he said he devastated, he wasted the church of God. And he says he wants to devastate the church. He wants to bring slaughter to the church. He's, he's bloodthirsty. And I believe as we read this, it gives us a lot of insight into those people who do not have the Spirit of God, into unregenerate people. Um, you know, the bad just kind of flows out of them. Do you understand? Because there's nothing there. There's not a spirit. You know, you and I have a spirit. By the way, uh, this fleshly nature that Saul has, you and I still deal with that too. <laughs> you know that, right? But thanks be to God, He's given us His Spirit that wars against that. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, we won't turn there, but you'll see uh, that there's, there's, there's things that flow from the flesh. That is the, the part of you that's void of the Spirit or the part of you that's fleshly or carnal, has these desires. And then there's things that flow from the Spirit of God. And they war against each other. But there are people in this world who are dead. You remember Paul would write to the Ephesians and say, you who were dead hath He quickened. There were people who were spiritually dead. They were void of the Spirit of God. And, and Saul is one of those people at this time. And carnality is just flowing through him. And he says he's, he's, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. You know, that gives us some insight into some of the people that may, you know, and there are people 
And I believe in, in our country and around the world that if they had the power, they would do the same thing that Saul is doing to the people of God. Because it's just flowing out of them. They can't help it. It's just their nature. Uh, they're, they're dead spiritually. And so he, he, he's, he's breathing out these threatenings and slaughters against the disciples and he goes into the high priest. And you know, this shows uh, the high priest didn't send Saul to persecute these people. They were scattered out of Jerusalem. Uh, many were probably willing that now they're, they're, they're away from Jerusalem, we're good. But Saul wasn't. He shows the initiative. He shows the motivation. He goes, he's not sent to persecute these people. He goes to the high priest and he says, he says, I, I need, I need uh, letters. I need authority. We're going to see that he desired letters of them to go out and persecute. He desired to go persecute people like you and me. Isn't that amazing? Saul goes out to do that and he desires, in verse 2 it says, he desires letters of him to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So he desired these letters from the Sanhedrin that he would, he would have the authority. And he'd go to, it says he would go to Damascus to the synagogues probably to garner up help from other Pharisees who hated the way that Jesus Christ had taught his disciples uh, to live. And he says if he found any of this way, and that's the way that you and I are trying to follow today, the way of discipleship, the way of Christ, whether they were men or women. See, he had no fear of the men. He had no mercy on the women. He was just going to get anyone he could that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Um, a few months, well, it's probably been some, I was telling Sister Pat earlier, I, I have a hard time remembering what day it is and what year it is now because I feel like I'm in the twilight zone since COVID started. Um, it's like every day is almost the same. And uh, so I don't know when it was. We watched a show called, we watched a movie called The Greatest Showman. You ever seen that? Um, it was a good, it was a pretty good movie, but there's a, I believe it's in that one that there's a song. It's called Never Enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And we've, um, we've got a joke around our house. You know, maybe it's Bo wants another, maybe he's had one dessert and he wants another dessert, or Every Grace wants another book read, or Dad wants another minute to sleep, or whatever it may be. And we'll sing to each other, it's never enough, <laughs> never enough for dad, <laughs> never enough for Bo. Well, here, here, that reminded me of that. He says he wants to go out, and it wasn't enough that they were, they were scattered throughout these regions being persecuted. It wasn't enough for Paul. He, he says, remember what he said in Galatians, if you've heard of my conversation in the times past in the Jews' religion, how that he persecuted, uh, he, beyond measure, he persecuted the church of God. There were, there were many that didn't have the zeal that, the, that, that Saul had at this time. It wasn't enough that they were scattered. It wasn't enough uh, that they were, uh, you know, they were being uh, taken away from their families and they were being persecuted. He wanted to pursue them and persecute them. And you know, one of the greatest, uh, one of the things, I'll stop and talk about this for a minute. One of the things that Saul was suffering from, now his biggest problem was he was void of the Spirit of God. Um, but many of the Pharisees, you know, they, they were shocked. When Jesus came to earth, He did not meet the expectations that they had for who Jesus was going to be. You understand that? And, and that's probably a good lesson for us that maybe we really don't, I mean, sometimes we don't understand. The Jews were confused. Are you going to establish a kingdom? Are you going to overthrow the Roman government? What are you going to do? And He taught this religion of freedom. I mean, he did. How many of y'all feel free knowing about Jesus Christ? He taught this religion. It wasn't a religion of bondage or religion of works. And the Pharisees, who were the, 
I mean, they were the leaders, and, and, and they were the they were the leaders of this religion, and they had taken uh, the religion that God had established through Abraham and added to it, and added to it, and added to it, and added to it, and pride was rampant. You know, the Pharisees were 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 started, I believe, during the Babylonian captivity to try to keep uh, the 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 Jewish religion and the Jewish culture pure, but it just grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. That's what that's what that's what men tend to do with organizations that we create, right? Maybe there's a good cause. There's a, it started for a good reason, but over time it becomes corrupted. And, and Saul was so ingrained in that, and many of the Pharisees were so ingrained in that, the ones that would, that would send Jesus to the cross, they hated him because they had a, a religious superiority complex. My way is so much better than his way. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about that because, I, number one, I have seen it, and, and, and as old Baptist here today, I want to tell you, we can, we can ourselves get, get a religious superiority complex. All right? Probably a, maybe that's, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's a coping mechanism. We think, well, why? I mean, there's, there's a good many people here today, but we're not, we're not busting at the seams like some of the churches, or maybe uh, we feel like we're not as important, or I don't know what it is. But we get we run to this. Well, we've got the truth, and you don't have the truth. And look, I believe the truth is found here at Vestavia. I believe the old Baptist church is fighting for the truth, or I I wouldn't be one. You understand that, right? But that shouldn't lift us up with pride. Amen. That shouldn't make us feel superior uh, to other people. We just need to be we just need to be satisfied with who we are. <laughs> Someone recently said, "Why why do you why do you love your church?" Someone asked me this on the phone. They had called me the other day. And I said, I think one thing you'll find about our church is we're just satisfied with who we are. <laughs> you know, so many churches are not satisfied. They're, they're looking to the church over here, and the church over here is growing, and maybe they're not growing, and so they want to change something about the way they do church. And I'm not saying we should be lazy in who we are, <laughs> but Christ was satisfied in who He was. Do you remember we read that from Isaiah? He saw the travail of His soul, and what was He? He was satisfied. Remember in John chapter 6 when he has many disciples who are seeing the miracles and they're walking with Jesus, many of them. And he begins to teach things that, are, that they say are hard to hear. And, and when he talks about how no man can come to him except the Father draw him and the inability of man to really garner any favor with God, it says many of his disciples went away from him and walked no more with him. And he turns to Peter and, and it's so amazing I mean, if, if, if the majority of you got up and walked out and it's me and Brother Mark, I'd probably walk at Mark and say, what did I say? <laughs> right? Jesus looks to Peter and He says, will you go away also? Because Jesus was satisfied in who He was. Right? I want to be... I, I, I believe that we are satisfied in who we are. And I, want, and, and, and I want to do that by conviction. The reason I can be satisfied, and I am... I'm not looking for another church. I hope to die an old Baptist. And I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm, it's, it's, it's a kind of conviction. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? And as, as, as someone who's, I've tried to follow the Lord and, and I've been a member of His church since, I guess, for about 15 years now. And I can tell you that as a, you remember when Luke Kegler was at, if you remember you're at my ordination, he left, um, another denomination of Christianity to become a primitive Baptist. And he left a lot behind. The Lord's richly blessed him in that. But the, the first thing he said, he questioned me at my ordination. And he said, 
I have found that being a primitive Baptist is not cool. <laughs> is not cool. It's not cool to the world. And one thing I think you'll find as a member of the Lord's Church is that a lot of people today will have this religious superiority complex towards you when you begin to tell them about your church. Okay? And, and some very good people. It's just a way. It's, I, don't, I don't know why that is. It's, um, but you're going to have to deal with that. If you're a primitive Baptist, you're going to have to deal with that, okay, in this life. Um, you know, have you, have, you ever, have you ever got this one? You try to, and I never, Carrie and I have been talking a lot about how do you, what is a, what is a primitive Baptist? Y'all get that question, right? Everybody, when you tell them where you go, that's a hard one to answer. We, we talked about it, we went to the beach several months ago, and we talked about it the whole way down. And I, I even called some other ministers, said, how do you answer it? And I called Brother Tim McCool, he said, I tell them, do you want the, 30-second answer, the one-minute answer, the 30-minute answer. The... He said, I can give you the one-second answer. I said, what's that? He said, everything. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of times what, I, what I've noticed people will say, well, what is a primitive Baptist? And we'll do this. We'll say, well, we, we don't have this, <laughs> and we don't have that, and we don't have this. I'm going to tell you, I don't know if it's because I'm a marketing major or whatever it was, but you don't start out with the negative to sell anything, do you? Here's what we have, right? Here's what we have. Um, and so don't get on the defensive or don't let that get you down. That's going to happen to you as you try to share the gospel and what we believe. Uh, but be confident, be satisfied, and be convicted in what you have. You know, we don't, um, many people, one of the first things they'll notice is we don't, we don't have Sunday school or age segregated uh, classes and and we do that not because we think well that's a model that works we do that because we're convicted that's how the bible says we should do things right we don't we don't do that to say well we're superior and we figured this out we believe the word of god is superior to what man may think amen and um it's just biblical you know in the book of john uh, that last chapter, when Jesus is talking to Peter, he says, feed my sheep and feed my... I can remember Brother O.C. McDade saying, uh, you can feed the sheep, you can feed the lambs. It's the same preacher feeding the same sheep, feeding the same lambs. Y'all remember that? The Apostle Paul would write to the children of the church of Ephesus. It's, it's undeniable that the, the, that the family integrated model of church is the model that the original church followed because that's what Jesus Christ set up. You know, in the, in the Black Rock Address, which is a foundational document, I guess, for, especially for primitive Baptists in America, and um, it was written in 1832, I believe, and this is a short thing they said we, about Sunday schools. They, they addressed, because um, that was an invention of the time. It was new. And they said, they, they mentioned uh, many things, but they said this, we therefore must believe that if these schools were of God, we should find some account of them in the New Testament. <laughs> That's simple, isn't it? See, that's, that's why we don't have these things because we're convicted it's not in the Word of God. Um, and, and here's another thing that you can, if you want to examine, uh, since the church has, I mean, Sunday school started, and we could get into this historically, for a good thing, to teach people how to read, to teach people how to write. But, but like, like the Pharisees, what happens with organizations of man? They, they mutate. And they become things they were never intended to become. And now you, you can find stats. It's 50, 60, 70, some will say 80, even more percent of children when they become teenagers leave Christianity altogether. 
And I have to think that if you're grown up in a, if you grow up in a, in an organization or in a, in a in a method that entertains you from the time you're two to the time you're 18, and then you make it to big church, you're not entertained anymore, right? In many of the the, the fastest growing churches in America, the mega churches have taken the youth group model and and just extrapolated that out to adults. They have so you have you have you have you have the smokes and the screen and the and the bands. And look, I'm not against music, and this is not to denigrate, but can you see how this has grown throughout time? But yet we have more people leaving the church today, the church in general, than have ever left the church because we're not following God's way. So when people say to you, well, why don't you have Sunday schools or why don't you do this for the kids? Because we're convicted that's not what you do. And people are going to look down on you because of that. Some people. I'll tell you another one is seminaries, um, and that was one part of the Black Rock Address. And look, I have nothing against schools. I, obviously, I went to college, and I want to be educated. And um, you, you know, but it 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 demonstrates these seminaries. See, they've probably started with good intentions, but they've grown and they've grown and they've grown and they've grown. Um, you know, the biblical model for training ministers is found in second timothy uh, chapter 2 it says thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus and the things that thou hast heard of of me among many witnesses the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also that that's it it's an apprenticeship model an older elder takes a younger minister in and that's how the word of god uh, that's how the ministry is to be propagated and it's not it's not the older minister teaching the younger minister how to preach God's got that handled, right? God's the one that's going to call Saul here. God's the one that I, I hope called me. Ministers throughout the ages. See, Jesus, when he was calling his ministers, did he say, well, go down to the schools and the ones that want to be ministers of me, get them trained, and then they can be ministers of me. Is that what he said? No, he went to fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, and he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I was I was so excited. I was meeting with somebody recently, and I was telling them about being called the pastor of this church, and and just I, I, this was not a mean thing, but it's, I guess as sweet as you can say it. Uh, they said, "Well, why didn't they get a real preacher?" <laughs> I didn't know how to answer that. <laughs> how would y'all answer that? <laughs> I had another. This was a primitive Baptist recently. They they said, "Well, I heard you've been called to Vestavia," and I said, "Yeah." But they didn't mean nothing by it. That's why I'd heard Brother Sam had left, but I thought they'd get a big name preacher. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> he said, "Why don't you get a? Why don't you get a? Why, why didn't, no offense, but why didn't they get a real preacher?" <laughs> See what they meant by that is why didn't you get a seminary? And I don't have any. I promise you, no ill will towards anybody. What what they mean is why why don't you have a seminary train? Why you know I don't have a doctorate on my wall. <laughs> Um, it's a it's a religious uh, superiority complex that goes on in America. Um, here, here's the from the Black Rock Address once again. It says, as the theological schools, we shall at present content ourselves with saying that they are a reflection upon the faithfulness of the Holy Ghost, who is engaged according to the promise of the great head of the church to lead the disciples into all truth. See what what our forefathers were saying was. We, we don't need to establish schools or universities or, or great, uh, great organizations of men because we believe in the faithfulness of the Holy Ghost to call people to preach the gospel. Do you all see that? 
It says also that in every age, from the school of Alexandria down to this day, they've been a real pest to the church of Christ. Of this, we could produce abundant proof that the limits of our address admit, uh, admit their insertion. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's been good that's come from seminary. And, and there's, look, I believe most people that attend the seminary do it very sincerely, don't y'all? Because they've been, they, that's, that's the way you do it in most of Christianity. So I don't want you to in, in any way think that I'm, I am um, knocking them or questioning their character. I'm not. But you have to think, as here was Paul that was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the Lord's disciples, and he had this great zeal to bind the believers at Jerusalem. And I have to wonder how many seminaries have churned out these people with this religious uh, superiority complex that their goal is to take the Lord's people and bind them with some kind of doctrine that is foreign to the Word of God. Do you understand that the gospel of grace has been propagated throughout all centuries, not through organizations of religion or seminaries or colleges? It's been farmers and lawyers and common people who God has called. Isn't God amazing? See, if you were going to call a man to write the most books in the New Testament, it wouldn't have been Saul who held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. If you were going to say, how am I going to propagate the gospel throughout the ministry throughout all centuries, you would have probably said, we'll start a, we'll start a school, we'll start an organization. We'll do, but that's not God's way. And how many people think that God knew what He was doing when He called Saul? <laughs> all of us, right? I think God knew what He was doing when He set up the ministry and when He set up how the ministry was to be, cha- uh, was to be trained. And so you can judge a tree by its fruit. Listen, the majority of things that come out of, of the schools in America, the religious schools in America, they don't free people. See, the gospel frees people. But religion it binds people, right? See, religion and, and the, thing, the messages that come out of many of the schools is, is, is you're, you're really not enough. You need to get it together. But the gospel says Christ is enough. He's got it together, right? Y'all see that? Uh, there's, there's one of the most educated men I'm sure his IQ far surpasses mine. That wouldn't take much. <laughs> I'm barely made out of Alabama. <laughs> Not Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> um, like if y'all saw my GPA, you'd say, we're going to call another pastor. <laughs> um, you know, degree after degree after degree. And he wrote a book, and one of the, one of the I think it's chapter 7, I've read most of it. Um, it says, there, we are plan A and there is no plan B. <laughs> and, and, the, and see, that's religion, saying that, you see how that's a superiority complex? Like, look at me. We are plan A. And, and I'm not saying that, that they're doing that in a prideful way, but we are plan A. And what it means is that we are the plan that God has developed to get the gospel to the world so that people can be saved. And he very, very clearly says in this book that if we don't do it, there are millions upon millions upon millions of people who will die and go to hell. See, the gospel says Jesus Christ was plan A and there is no plan B. Do y'all see that? See, religion will say, have you accepted Christ? But the gospel will say, God made you accepted in the beloved. Do y'all see the difference? See, religion focuses on man and what man can do. The gospel focuses on Jesus Christ. And so maybe, 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 you've, maybe you look at, it, at what we have and you look down the road or over here and you say, man, the grass looks greener. Y'all know my favorite quote from Nick Saban, the grass always greener over the septic tank. <laughs> you don't know what they're dealing with. Don't let 
Because there will be many that think, we've got it together, we've got it better than you have it. The Lord's church has been doing what you and I are doing today for the last 2,000 years. Be like Sister Harris. I'm just drawing interest on those memories. Isn't that beautiful? Well, here's the Apostle Paul. Here's Saul. I didn't mean to take that, that long on that. but Here he is. He, he's, he's going to bind these people in Jerusalem. And it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He's journeying to Damascus. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's obtained the letters, the authority <coughs> from the high priest, and I love what it says. It says, as he came near Damascus. He's almost there. And he is a fire-breathing dragon, isn't he? When he gets to Damascus, it's on. And it says he came near Damascus. I don't know if you all remember, I tried to preach a message. I believe it was Easter Sunday. The God of the brinks. Here's a people that were at the brink. This fire-breathing dragon is about to attack. It says that he came near Damascus, that suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. In Acts 26, 13, I believe Paul recounts this experience three times in the book of Acts. He says, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and then that journeyed with me. There was a, there was a light like you and I have never seen that shines down on the Apostle Paul, on, on Saul of Tarsus at this time. And the same God who in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3 said, let there be light and there was light. He had decided at this time, this was, this was the time that it pleased God to reveal His Son in Paul. And there's a light that shines down from heaven. And it says, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And it's very interesting in the, in the 26th chapter of Acts when it says he fell to the earth, it, when he's recounting this in the, in the 14th verse of Acts 26, he says, and when we were fallen to the earth. I believe everybody falls down right then. There's this, there's this light that comes from heaven. But in, in verse 4 it says, And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. And if you go to Acts 26, 14, there's something that says, And we were fallen to the earth. And there's a comma. And he says, And I, I, we fell down, but I heard a voice. Isn't that beautiful? What, what we're dealing with here is the effectual, personal, call of grace on the Apostle Paul's life. And I want to tell you that every one of you today, if you have a desire to follow Jesus Christ, it's because He met you personally. Maybe it was in your mother's womb. And if, if that's your story, praise God from whom I'll... I mean, I wish that was my story. I wish I could say I never knew a time when I didn't want to follow God. I never knew a time where I didn't want to come to church. I never knew a time where, 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 where I ran from Him. I... I wish that was my story, but how many of you have a story so you can, you can remember a time where the things that once seemed foolish made sense to you? <laughs> you can remember a time where the things that you used to be ashamed, which used to bring you no shame, brought you all kinds of shame. That's because God, there might have been a lot of we's around there, but He personally looked down and said, that's my child, and here I am. And He says that, just like He came to Lazarus at the tomb, they rolled the stones away, and what did He say? He said, Lazarus, Come forth. And what did Lazarus do? He said, not today, Lord. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Lazarus came forth. See, we, we serve a powerful God. You know what religion will say? 
God's knocking at the door of your heart and he wants to let you in. You know what the gospel says? He is so powerful. He just walks on in and changes your heart anyways. Don't y'all love the gospel? You remember in Galatians chapter 1 where he said, it said when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. <laughs> y'all remember that? That's what's happening right here on the road to Damascus. Saul, Jesus Christ is being revealed in him. You know, I want to reveal God to people. I believe you do too. You certainly want to, you want, to, you want to show Jesus to your children, to your friends, to your family. That should be the goal of this church, to show Jesus to the world. We can only show Jesus to people. But God's revealing His Son in Paul. Do y'all see that? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. We can't reveal God in people. And so not only are we in Christ, we see that Christ is in us. And He says, why persecutest thou me? Uh, John Gill, who I've quoted before, says this, there seems to be a considerable emphasis on the word me. Me, who have been thy surety from everlasting. Me, who have loved thee and given myself for thee. Me, who have shed my blood and laid down my life and died for thee. Me, who am now at my Father's right hand interceding for thee, that grace might be bestowed, bestowed upon thee, the set time being now, come the time that christ was going to reveal him and look do you notice this? he says why are you persecuting me you know i've tried to say that that i remember brother sam you say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing the reason we're here is to celebrate christ right notice christ doesn't come to paul and say paul why are you living this kind of life look at how this is going to lead down the road, look how sad you're going to be and alone you're going to be. It wasn't, it wasn't self-help that Christ was preaching to Paul, was it? He says, why are you persecuting me? It's okay to make it all about Him because it's all about Him. And He said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He says, he, he, he says, who are you, God? He's, he's been changed, but he's still, in, he's still in ignorance. He still needs some knowledge. You know, it's, it's a, much different, uh, a much different view that, that, that Paul has or Saul has at this time than when Stephen. Y'all remember when Brother Luke preached about Stephen and that Jesus Christ stood up for Stephen and said, I'm still here, Stephen? And what, what did Stephen said? He, he, be, he beheld the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And, and, and Stephen, Stephen knew who his God was, right? And so Paul here is saying, who are you, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? And I love this. And the Lord said, I am Jesus. You know, the word Jesus means Savior, right? Jehovah is salvation. When the angel came to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, she said, he said, she's speaking of Mary, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Y'all remember that? For he shall, why would he be called Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. The Apostle Paul would later write in Philippians chapter 2, I believe it is, that, that God has given Christ a name that is above all names. That's the name of Savior that only he alone can have. And Paul says, Who, who art thou, Lord? He's been, he's, been, he's been overcome sovereignly by the grace of God. And he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, he says, The Lord says unto him, I am. Jesus. And Saul has met his Savior. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 
Do y'all ever remember? I can remember when I've heard, I never heard Jesus say this audibly to me, but I can remember hearing men preach the gospel. And I wondered who I am and who the Lord is and what am I doing? You know, all those things had to be going through Paul's mind at this time. And I don't know when it was for you. Maybe it was at a gospel meeting or a church service on the radio or reading the Word of God. But aren't you thankful for those times when he says, I am Jesus. I'm your Savior. Listen to this. He says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, there is no proof that I can find that Christ, that, that Christ was ever personally persecuted by Saul. But he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Now, he persecuted certainly his followers. We know, we know that. Listen to Acts 26.10. He says, which thing I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints. This is Paul talking about his life before his conversion. Many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue. And I compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He was persecuting who? The church, the saints of God, the disciples of Christ. And so this is so awesome to me. What we learn from this is I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. What he's saying is when you persecute God's children, when you persecute God's church, he takes it personally. Do y'all see that? The church and Christ are inseparable. You, Christ is in you. The hope of glory, right? He's been revealed in you. So not only, not only do we carry the name of Christ, but maybe, I don't know what's happening. Maybe you've lost a promotion uh, because of you following Jesus. Or maybe you've lost friends for following Jesus. You're not alone in that. Jesus feels that. Do you understand that? I'll give you an example. Of, of why this is. I don't want to embarrass my mom's here today, but when I, I can remember when we got a new couch when I was a kid and they had these nice decorative, I can still remember almost the pattern. The, I think they're like throw pillows, you know, you have several, several little pillows on the couch and she can tell you the rule was you don't sit on the pillows. <laughs> Any of y'all have that rule at your house? I mean, these were, these were nice pillows, right? And, um, you know, they don't want to lose their form. You want them to look nice. Um, you can't use them. They're only for looks. That was the rule in our house. Um, well, I'm going to tell you what. I did not care much for those pillows. <laughs> and I, I certainly did not understand why that was the rule. I mean, a pillow's for sitting on, right? For taking a nap on. Um, but I knew for sure that if I wanted to face the wrath of mom, it wasn't that bad. But just catch me sitting on one of those pillows. <laughs> Now, now today, he's still got nice pillows, but for some reason, there's two kids that can do whatever they want with the pillows. <laughs> I don't get it. Bo could build a ramp out of Legos and take his bike off the landing upstairs and do a, you know, a somersault into a stack of pillows. And she said, are you okay, honey? <laughs> I'd have been grounded. And Carrie and I got married. How many of y'all, I mean, we got married. Our house... Still, most of it is furnished from stuff people gave us. <laughs> you know, that's okay too, by the way, right? You know what some people need to learn in, in our society is that you're not going to have everything that your parents have. They forget that, that people work for what they have, right? 
I think young people need to know that. Um, but we had a we had a you know we had a couch for many years, and it was a nice couch. But I sat on the. I mean, I thought. I mean, the pillows weren't that great. I laid on the pillows. I loved the pillows. <laughs> Uh, but back last year, we bought a new couch. It's the first, like, real nice couch that we, I mean, we got some rooms to go. I don't know how nice that is, but I liked it. And it came with nine decorative throw pillows. <laughs> Fluffy, nice. Now I care about the pillows. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and there's a rule in our house. Don't step on the pillows. <laughs> don't sit on the pillows. And Bo will put them out like they're stones in a river, and he'll just waltz across the pillows. And as every one of them, then they just crush, and I feel the pain of my pillows crushing. <laughs> this is true, and I'll say, "Get off the pillows." Why is that? Because I went to the store and I chose those pillows. Right? I loved those pillows. I loved that couch. I paid for that couch. I brought that couch home with me. Why does Christ take it personally when people persecute us and offend us and mock His church and mock His people? Because He chose us and He loves us and He paid for us. He's coming back to get us. Do y'all see that today? That's why the Lord takes it personal. Don't think that, that God is some being uh, in, in so far away in some galaxy <laughs> that, you know, that, you, that He's not close to you. He's near to every one of us. He's in us. He's near us. He sticks closer than a brother. He's coming back. That's why, why don't you talk about church membership? Why is that so important? Because the church and Christ are inseparably linked. And if you want to be a disciple, you need to be a part of His church. And He says it's hard. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The pricks were, you know, they were goads. They were instruments that make uh, the animals go faster. The animals stay on track. The animals uh, not to veer off to do what they were supposed to do. And I can tell you this: it would have been it would have been awfully hard for Saul to continue on the path that he was going. It would have brought him much destruction. Life's hard enough when you do it God's way. We shouldn't be stubborn and trying to do it our way, right? He says it's hard for the kick against the pricks. And Paul, he trembling and astonished. Listen to this. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Listen to the power of God. This man who was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of Christ in a moment is changed. And when he meets his Savior, he says what we should say to our Savior. What will you have me to do? It's, it's this what, what can I do attitude. He says, what, what can I do? And you know, it's so interesting. That's, that's the attitude that we should have. But as Paul went to do... So by the way, he had something. He says, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And, and you know what? For every one of God's children that He has called, there's something for you to do. You say, what, what is my purpose in life? I don't, I don't know exactly what your purpose in life is, but there's a lot of things in the Scripture that He's told us to do. You need to arise and go do them, right? But, and, and so Paul would go and do that. And, and, and he had this attitude of what can I do? But later, as he began to follow Christ, as he began to learn more of Christ and more of his Savior, 
You remember what he said to the Philippians? He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe if we'll just submit to our Lord and say, Lord, what will you have me to do? I believe he'll make it clear in your life what it is that you're supposed to do. And guess what? It may be hard. You know, I believe it's harder today to raise children in our society than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. It's, it's harder to keep ourselves straight, isn't it? We're bombarded with images we shouldn't see, uh, with, with, with theories that, are, that, are, that, that shouldn't have a place in our society. Well, here's something you can do. Raise your kids. Well, guess what? That's going to be hard, right? Here's something you should do. You should, I mean, preachers are supposed to say this, right? Come to church. <laughs> it can be hard. Love your spouse. He said, I don't love my spouse. I mean, my spouse is mean to me. Well, Jesus said, love your enemies, <laughs> right? We're supposed to love. All these things, all these things that God has told us to do are hard. But the more you follow Christ, the more you will get that attitude. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, if you go home today and you say, I'm motivated. I know I need to read my Bible. I know I need to pray. I know I need to reach out to church members more. I know I need to be more loving to my family. You say, I'm going to do it. When I get home, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come up. Josh does this. I'm going to get a plan and I'm going to get up at this time and I'm going to do this. It'll all fall apart. Because you said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Remember, religion points to I, 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 and me, me, me. If you want to get closer to Christ, it is He that strengthens you. Do you see that? So the best thing you can do today is say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me. And He will give you the strength. He will give you the motivation. He will give you the zeal that it takes to persevere. In a, in a world that is against him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of this life. We thank you for the wonderful story of the Apostle Paul who you struck down on the road to Damascus and made into the, just uh, the, the most prolific writer of the New Testament. And we know, Lord, that the same grace that it took to change the Apostle Paul's heart is the same grace that you've bestowed upon us. And the same faith that he has is the same faith that we have. And we pray, God, that we would use that in bold ways such as he did. And we pray, God, that you'd open up doors of opportunity in, in our society that we may speak the truth of salvation by grace, that this simple format that you, that you established uh, years ago of singing, preaching, and praying, and, uh, and, and family-integrated worship, and time together around your word, and fellowship, and all those things that the New Testament church enjoyed in the book of Acts, we pray that there'll be others that would come in amongst us and enjoy those things. And God, we thank you that you, you are so linked to us that the, the pains that we face and the pains that we feel, we know you feel them too. And you don't leave us alone in the sadness and brokenness of this life, but you're there to strengthen us along the way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.